Welcome to the Andourage Podcast. I'm Isaac Foster, CEO and co-founder of Andourage, and this is Talking Shop, a mini-series where we have candid conversations with clinicians on a variety of topics within the world of medicinal cannabis. Today's episode is called The Search for an Alternative, where I speak with Dr. Byron Jones about his transition into using cannabis alongside traditional pharmaceuticals with his patients. One of the things that was really exciting for us, right, as a company, is we always need clinical partners, mm-hmm. right, because we don't have patients. And, 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 you know, again, I think we've been very clear from the beginning. Our goal is not to replace doctors. It's to work with doctors. And, you know, having doctors as part of our, our founding team, we know the endocannabinoid system is not taught. And it actually makes sense, right, because why would you teach a system that you don't have tools for? for people preparing to go into into clinical practice. And so we're in this period of time now where we've known, you know, since the 80s and 90s about the endocannabinoid system. It's been well-researched, it's documented, it's not a theory anymore. And with the, specifically, the 2018 Farm Bill was really the first time that you could look at creating true clinical formulations because prior to that, you were limited to working with with marijuana and only from the University of Mississippi and only in highly regulated scenarios. And what we were able to do with you was exactly what we think is the new model, right? We have an existing thesis, meaning there are mountains of, of data in humans with similar indications uh, where it's not controlled for a specific product. It's just they, you know, they used something and, and you saw effect and then clinicians who did use it with commercially available products. But then to take that and really drill down, turn it into a repeatable formulation, use it clinically, develop a protocol around it, mm-hmm. and then actually see it work. I mean, that's what we were able to, to do with you with the first product, which was to help with your patients that weren't above mandated minimums for opioids. Yeah. But I'm curious, one thing I, I, I never asked you is, is where did you get your first inkling that this might be a path? When you guys came and talked to me. But we met you after you were looking for us. What were you, what were you looking for? Well, I, uh, I was aware and I had a lot of patients who had used hemp and marijuana as part of their pain management. And, you know, it was kind of looked at as verboten uh, at the time, but many of them were doing somewhat better than my patients who were not using that. I've always had an open mind, uh, you know, the attitude of where do drugs come from? They come from plants. Hemp is a plant, and I was aware it's a very complex plant, and my understanding at the time is most of this has not been studied at all, but I was very open. And, you know, when uh, Dr. Stewart came to me and, and said, uh, you know, can you think of any things that we could potentially work together on? First thing that popped into my mind, because I was so frustrated, all these patients I feel a responsibility to, got them on these meds, we're telling them they have to cut down on their dose. And I'm watching quality uh, just suffer as a result. What could we do with it? And that's where the light went off. I knew this much about hemp, marijuana, really did not know. And, you know, in practice for 
30 years attending all these conferences. No one ever mentioned endocannabinoid. I didn't even know it existed. That's almost embarrassing as a physician with a, a system that is part of our uh, DNA. And, you know, that's what was exciting. And that was the other thing for me is, okay, we've got something new that we could potentially try here that would be beneficial. My interest was piqued by that. So before that, you didn't really know about the endocannabinoid system? Did not. Did not. I knew nothing about it. What do you know about it today? I know probably this much about it, uh, learning as we go along and the complexities of the different receptor sites and what those receptor sites, how that's going to integrate into central and peripheral nervous system, all of that. I'm still learning a lot about that. I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what to do with you guys. <laughs> I really didn't. I uh, came in and, and I had known a uh, clinical partner of Dr. Stewart and loved the practice. And so had a lot of respect for him as a physician uh, going into it. But other than that, I honestly did not know what to do with you guys. We're obviously familiar with a lot of the, the well-known, renowned, uh, you know, quote-unquote cannabis stocks. Yes. And um, Michael is unique among them in that uh, his focus from the beginning was not on, on, on clinical practice because when he first went in the direction, ran into the big problem that there's no products for him to use, right? He wasn't going to get into trying to send patients to dispensaries and have conversations with bud tenders about, you know, what types of products they might have that have certain ingredients in them because that wasn't going to work. And Again, with the 2018 Farm Bill coming down, and for the first time in, in modern history, providing researchers and clinicians access to the portfolio of active ingredients in the plants, right? As, as, yeah. as, as you know, it's, it's, there are hundreds of cannabinoids, mm -hmm. and they all seem to have different properties. They seem to work differently individually and in combinations. Mm -hmm. And that's before you start adding all the other variables like flavonoids and terpenes. Yeah. And once you understand that you have to work with them as a collective for maximum efficacy, yeah. what we're doing wasn't available before the Farm Bill, was impossible. And um, what's exciting for us is because it is a non-toxic active ingredient, which, and, and I'm, you had no safety issues, I'm assuming, in any of your patients or- no. And, and how how you did not how common is that that you, you try something new? Oh my God, it's uh, it's very unusual, you know. And, and Isaac, I should probably back up a teeny bit because I remember one of my practices. I was offered the opportunity to become a medical director at uh, a dispensary, and at that time, if you were even going to consider that, you had to give up your controlled substance license. And I said, no, I'm a real doc. I'm not going to do that. You know, so kind of pushed it aside. That was probably my first introduction to it. And this would have been like 2008. Oh, wow. So I was aware uh, that people in, you know, one of the indications uh, was pain uh, at that time. Although, you know, what they were using, the quality of the product, didn't know anything about that. And, and, and so you had a lot of the same experience as Michael in terms of what product do I use for what, what protocol? How do I integrate this into standard medical practice? Yeah, and had not a clue. Yeah. Not a clue. And, you know, it, it's, I think that's been one of the challenges for the industry 
mm-hmm. right? The, the limitations on tools and the confusion, especially around, you know, THC and other euphoric properties of the plant. And Which, interestingly, we see with many of the other meds that we use. Do we? Yeah, opioids. Opioids cause euphoria in some people, benzos do, you know, even uh, some of the other medications that we use, nerve pills, things like that. That was all considered kind of side effect that occurs, but uh, you tried to minimize it. And if it happened, and I remember, you know, being at conferences and had a a patient that said uh, that they liked their medication regimen. And I presented this in front of a group of pain specialists and they all said, well, that's horrible. You can't have that. I said, well, don't you wanna know what they liked? What, why they used that word? And I said, yeah. And I said, well, it doesn't constipate me. I'm not getting, you know, I'm able to function on it and it's adequately controlling my pain. Therefore, I like this medication. But their first gut reaction was, you got to get them off of this because they're becoming addicted. And that was the way we viewed things. And, you know, in, in terms of um, cannabinoids, many people, particularly with THC, that's, that's the way they viewed it. Right. And, and that's part of the stigma yes. we have to work through. Absolutely. It, it's, um, yeah. you know, e- even working within the guidelines of hemp, right? And just for, for clarity, because I know a lot of people, I know you know, but it gets confusing. Mm-hmm. It just means varieties of the cannabis plant that, when they're measured, have less than 0.3% THC mm-hmm. by weight. Mm-hmm. There's nothing magical about that in terms of the botany of the plant. It would not be a natural delineation mm-hmm. of varieties, but it's acceptable. It's one that we can work with, especially since the actives are so bountiful and so potent. Mm-hmm. Though, I mean... In terms of the euphoria that you saw from your patients, how, how did it compare to euphoria from other substances in terms of their experience? This, and it, it pretty much was non-existent. I was surprised and pleased by that. Extremely well tolerated. And again, these are patients who are on uh, polypharmacy. They were on uh, tranquilizing type medications, uh, benzodiazepines, uh, opiates, of multiple, multiple types. And, you know, I was a bit surprised by that. I thought, okay, I am using something that does have small amounts of THC and what's going to happen with that. And I just did not see it. But I think that 0.3% number is a really important one uh, for people to keep in mind. And it's amazing how many people on the medical side and medical industry still don't get why that's important. If they hear it's got anything, any percent of THC, well, it must be pot. You know, it's, it's absolutely inaccurate. And, indeed. And, and I mean, we weren't expecting your patients to experience euphoria in mass. And in fact, they didn't. Yes. Right? You, you only had Correct. one. Correct. And, and it doesn't mean it can't happen, won't happen. It's just for the for the majority of formulations that are going to qualify as hemp, if they're designed medicinally, euphoria is not really going to be an issue. Right. It's also not habit forming, right? We we get this a lot, right? People say, well, well, why can't you just make it without the THC, right? You can take the THC out. There's pro- and and it really it, it took me a long time to understand the entourage effect. Yes. Right. Because you hear it. 
and you and okay yeah I, I kind of yeah okay great but until you actually do a lot of work around it mm-hmm. until then you don't understand that taking one piece out cuts efficacy in half yes right so if you've got a hundred pieces and you know, I just want to take this one out okay so now you cut it in half again then you lost some in the manufacturing process so you cut it in half again and you cut it in half again it's, it's like we would never voluntarily take a piece out of the puzzle that's that's working right the difference between, I mean, because obviously there's products that are THC free, and um, none of them have have, have advanced clinically. Mm-hmm. Right, and I had a number of patients that, uh, well, I'm there was a little bit of resistance. I've tried that. I've tried this CBD product or that, and where'd you get it? Well, uh, went to a dispensary and got it, or I got a, a Walgreens or something like that, and it had no THC in it. And so having that conversation about the entourage effect and why it is important to, let's at least try this, because my experience was that people who were using whole flower preparations, you, you didn't really know whether it would work or not unless you gave them that shot. And so many of them hadn't. And then uh, the fact that it had any THC in it at all, we had to have a little bit of a discussion about, again, the entourage effect and how it's not possible to really make it completely THC-free, nor would you want to because you're going to lose some of that effect. And they were surprised uh, at the outcomes, and I was too initially, Mm -hmm. and totally a, a big believer now. Part of at least my thesis for why it's so important is first understanding the actual history of the plant, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we we all suffer from having grown up during Prohibition. And even though intellectually we understand that everything that we've been taught since we were children about the plant was manufactured. Mm-hmm. For, for commercial reasons, and it's it's not a it's not a conspiracy. It's a, it's a fact. It's a documented fact in the history of this country, because the actual history of the plant that it was domesticated ten thousand years ago, right? So it was it, it's it wasn't a forage plant. It's not mushrooms, right? We don't go running in the fields looking for it. Ten thousand years ago, humans found it beneficial to cultivate this plant, and so they took it from the wild and made it their own. And 3,000 years after they did that, the same people domesticated the horse. And then in domesticating the horse, they conquered the most territory. And in fact, they are our ancestors, right? Because we can trace back all of modern society to conquest in the horse. (laughs) And everywhere they went, they brought this plant with them. And this country was settled with that same business model horses, and hemp, right? (laughs) We're sitting here in Colorado. We all know the history of Colorado being settled, of people arriving from Europe on the East Coast, in the Northeast, New York, and loading up covered wagons with their families and their dreams and heading out on a 2,000-mile adventure by themselves in something with barely the cargo space of, you know, your smallest U-Haul. And when we actually study it, what we see is that they they brought hemp with them. Hemp was the first thing they planted. Hemp was what they made all their clothing from, all of their their ropes. Ropes lead to tools, food. It's how they fed themselves. It's how they created their medicine. And so when you understand that it's really 
10,000 years of development by all of the societies that predate us, including those that have built monuments we still don't understand, they were working on this plant. And that what it does is makes complex chemical mixtures by design, has always done that, has never been developed in a direction of a single variety or a single ingredient. And that, that that's new for us. Yes. Right? I mean, my training similar similar to yours, right, as, as, as an investment banker doing biotech, it's about finding the magic molecule. Mm-hmm. And you find the magic molecule, and if you can synthesize it, that's way better than having to, to get it out there from those dirty plants. Yes. Because we can have a nice, clean molecule that always looks the same. And now we can start medicine, right? That's that's a process. And, yeah. and, and, and like you... I mean, grooved into it, yeah. believe in it. Yeah. And so to, to kind of have to do a, a complete 180 to understand that, first of all, you want to promote variety in your active source. What? What did we just say? Variety? You can't have variety. Right. It's got to be consistency. Right. <laughs> it's got to be one thing. We're doing this one thing. We got the mechanism of action. It turns on the switch and, this and, the, and there's the cascade. Yep. Right? What do you mean Variety. And I didn't believe in the beginning. And I actually, where I was really converted was in the field, working with people who had been using the product recreationally, predominantly. Even though they were using it recreationally, their knowledge of the intricacies of the plant and how they used it, they had a lot of knowledge. Yeah. And because what they were focused on was very specific outcomes in their body. It's like, hmm... That's data. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And when they all say the same things, that's where your consistency is. Mm -hmm. And so going from looking for a magic molecule to starting with the assumption that the magic is in the mixture and how do we preserve that and deliver that to a patient consistently is a whole different paradigm. Thanks for listening. And if you'd like to learn more about us and our products, please visit us at Andorage.com and be sure to check out our YouTube channel for more content.